Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, we are making our way through the Ten Commandments. Today, we are on number five. Now, before we read it, um, there's kind of a division in the commandments right here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you talk about that for a little bit? We often hear the terms kind of the first table of the law and the second table of the law, but there's not really much explanation all the time around that. What, what do we mean by those things when we use that language? Yeah, some, sometimes the Ten Commandments is referred to as the Decalogue, and uh, Deca meaning ten, and we say that the first half refers to our relationship with God, and the second half is our uh, relationship with uh, fellow uh, believers or other people. Um, and really, it's not a perfect uh, division of half, right? So, the first four, when we talk about you shall have another gods before you, we talk about um, idolatry, we talk about uh, taking the Lord's name in vain, as well as honoring the Sabbath. Those are all specifically laws about our worship of God specifically. And then when we get beyond that, uh, we get to honoring your father and mother, we get to murder, adultery, stealing, bearing false witness, and then coveting. Those are things that we are commanded in relation to the people around us. So, Sometimes we talk about the first half being the vertical aspect of the law, which is our relationship with God, and the second half being the horizontal aspect, which is our relationship with one another. Yeah, and so it's just a good distinction because if you are reading in the Ten Commandments or if you're listening sermons, you'll often hear words like Decalogue or the tables of the law, and all, and you don't always get the explanation for those. And so, um, good to know. Well, you know, and it's interesting. We should also we we should also say here that um, w- one table of the law is not less or more important than the other, right? Right. Um, they're they're equal in in value, all given you know by God, and I, I think it's very interesting. You know, Jesus even speaks to this right. He kind of gives a summary in Matthew uh, of the whole Decalogue when he says, you know, the, the first and greatest commandment: love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know that verse, and then he goes on to say, but the second is like it: love your neighbor as yourselves. He's really summarizing. Yeah. Right. The Ten Commandments there in in Matthew, I think it's chapter 22 or 23. Um, and so, well, so today we're on the fifth commandment. So let me just read that for us out of Exodus 20. And this is uh, verse 12. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, this is an interesting one. Not only are we kind of uh, switching gears here, um, but it's also a unique command in, in that it has attached to it something else, right? A right, promise. right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so when we talked about the promise, the, uh, the, the question is, okay, what promise? Because we want to be able to take this in context. And uh, the promise in this case, uh, if we are living with the Israelites, if we're in that time as an Israelite, that the promise has to be in context with the promise given to the Israelites. And so when we look at this again, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord uh, your God gives you. 
and uh, and and it's the first commandment with uh, w- with a promise from an Israelite point of view. You think of the obedience to the Mosaic law. Um, there are blessings for obedience. There are curses for disobedience. Um, and, and so we and it's interesting that the first commandment that is uh, really kind of the horizontal aspect is directed at children uh, towards uh, towards their parents. And indeed, when you look at all these other commandments, none of them say that your days will be prolonged if you kind of do these things. So, in, in from an Israelite standpoint, um, this does tie into the blessings and the curses of the law. But I think there is a larger principle at work here, um, because when Paul refers to it in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, I believe it's verse 4, he refers to this, um, saying that it's uh, either verse, no, actually, I think it might be verse 1, verse 1 and 2. Let me double check that. Um, but I think it's Ephesians um, chapter 6, uh, verse yeah, verses 1 and 2. And in verse 2, he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And so, even though we're in the New Testament, by the time Paul writes, he still wants to remind us that it comes with a promise. Now, there are no, this is not a magical formula. So, I mean, just because um, the children obey their parents is not an absolute guarantee, but I think it is a, there's proverbial wisdom in this, that uh, when children learn at a young age to obey their parents, they, in essence, learn how to respect authority. And uh, that that tied into the Old Testament, if they obeyed their parents, then that means they, they would obey God. And same when the New Testament, if they obey their parents, they're going to obey authorities. And especially if they come to a knowledge of, uh, of God and Jesus Christ, um, they're, you know, those are good patterns that uh, will follow after them. Yeah, well, for one, if you didn't honor your mother and father, you could be stoned. And so certainly your life could be brought short. Right. Um, But, you know, they also lived in a world where just a lot of things could kill you and death was very close and real. Um, And so, you know, obeying your parents and following their instruction and wisdom, I, I mean, had a very real and tangible outcome generally in that it guarded you from all of these things that you know, could end your life. And so I, 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 I think there's probably a, a, a dual thing in there where it's the very practical sort of humanly aspect that, but God put in there as well as a blessing. Um, well, this one is interesting. It, this is really, we're talking about uh, honoring your mother and father. And I think as we kind of go on, I think we could extrapolate some principles to honoring those who are in place yeah. of authority, because this is really what we are talking about this is the first and primary authority out after god that any and every human being has right um and it's the fundamental relationship where we learn really how to rightly respond to authority um and and so and if we i mean we can kind of look at our own society and we can see what happens to not just a family unit but an entire society when this command is not only ignored, but really just flat out mocked and rejected um, and taught against. I, I mean, we've seen this, you know, in our own country, um, just kind of a, a living exercise in what disobedience to this commandment produces, yeah. right? Um, and, and I think we've gone so far to where it's not, not any longer just small uh, neighborhoods or general societies, but we actually have our rulers abdicating uh, for disobedience in yes. this area, right? Yeah. It, I mean, talk a little bit about this. I mean, you, you know, you're ACBC certified counselor. I guarantee you see this, right? 
Uh, and you probably contemplated this a bit in, in that aspect. Yeah. You know, I know you're teaching through Ephesians. Um, I had taught through Ephesians at this point about a year and a half ago. And when I got to chapter six, where we have the commandments to children and, and to parents, um, I, I talked about the fact that the, the all, all the division and kind of the chaos. And at that time, when I hit this passage, um, we were seeing a lot of rioting in, in cities and cities burning up and, and all the um, Antifa and Black Lives Matter um, rallies that were turning violent, those violent protests. And what I said to the congregation is that, you know, the, the, the failures you see in society is essentially a failure of the uh, of the prior generation to be raised up the right way. So, I mean, even when we look at this commandment to honor your father and mother, there is a, a flip side to that that's implied that your father and mother is actually raising you upright. Right. So, I mean, the, the father and mother have to be raising you correctly in order to teach you to to honor them and also to teach you to honor them for the right reasons and to honor authority as well. Um, so, so we see all this going on around us. But in terms of the disobedience that's being encouraged today, I mean, just look at the transitioning that's being encouraged of kids. So, the we know about the LGBTQ agenda and then the schools. So we're hearing more and more about um, how children are being encouraged to make decisions and, and even uh, consider the kind of procedures to their own bodies that no longer requires um, any kind of um, say from the parents. And uh, in Los Angeles, I remember, I think it was at the start of 2020, um, they had a plan that year to build uh, several dozens, and I don't remember the exact number, I want to say it was 50 or 60 or something like that, Planned Parenthood centers right on the campuses of high schools. Hmm. And the idea of doing that is that they wanted the kids to be able to go to Planned Parenthood and access any of their services immediately on the spot without even having to consult with with their parents. So, th this is very clear signs of encouraging disobedience um, to parents. And, and really, the I would even extend that to a lot of the public school system today that are trying to do more and more things outside of the knowledge and, and the approval of, of parents. And, and those who are trying to get in the way of kids being homeschooled because they have the mindset that the kids belong to us. And so, really, by doing that, they're, they're taking away the responsibility and the, the right that parents have over their children. And they're trying to say that the state now controls that right. So, yeah, it is being encouraged. And when, when in these, some of these classes, you know, talking about you know, some of these uh, sex ed classes, especially in the state of California, um, kids are being taught that, hey, if you hear from a religious institution, such as a church, that, uh, that there is only two genders, well, they're guilty of spiritual abuse. That, that's exactly what's being taught. And by extension, that would extend to anyone else, even in, even their own parents that, that would believe such a thing. So, yeah, we're, we're living in a society that, that is tearing this apart, and, and they understand the importance uh, of getting to children, the indoctrination. In fact, just I think really just over the last day or two, we've heard about how student loans are being forgiven or they're being at least partially um, forgiven up to 10000 or even 20000 if you're a Pell recipient. Um, and I look at that and I'm thinking, well, to me, that looks like that's just more encouragement for people to go to universities, which right now, I'm going to be honest with you, I think it's the worst time ever um, in, in, in my lifetime um, to, to go to university. And if I had a child who was ready to get to that step, you know, I, I would say unless you are actually pursuing an, an exact vocation that requires that kind of um, degree, um, skip it. Uh, go to a trade school, go to a tech school, get experience elsewhere. You don't need it because yeah. I, I'm not, um, I just have no no faith in the public university system unless you're going to a place like the master's university. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm very partial to them. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very interesting. And I think if if anyone was ever, uh, you know, since we've started doing this series, if anyone has ever asked the question, well, th- does the Ten Commandments really even matter? You, you know, I mean, we, we know that we need to love God. We know that we need to serve God. We know that we need to be faithful. But uh, is there any real residual effect or outcome of just sort of removing the Ten Commandments from the general view of society, because it used to be, right, that you could see the Ten Commandments in placards all over the place, public buildings, courthouses, things like that. Well, I think when we get to this one, although we shouldn't have to get to this one, we could just start with the first one, right? But when you get to this one, I I think maybe, humanly speaking, we see it uh, just in a different way in our own country, right? Um, w- what happens when there are generations after generations of children who have not been not only just taught, but it's not been demanded that they learn how to honor their mother and father? Well, this is what you get. You yeah. get lawlessness and it breaks down the entire society. And I think we see here the reality uh, of, of the importance of the family unit, um, first by God. It's just really interesting that the very first commandment uh, that deals with our relationships with others is to an immediate authority structure in the family, yeah. right? Um, and, and obviously, that's by design, and that wasn't happenstance. It wasn't coincidence. Um, it, it was extremely important. And, you know, just another note, we're kind of talking about the general importance of this and looking at our society just as a way to kind of help us understand that. It, it, it's it, You brought up some his, historical uh, uh, evidence there, and it's interesting because every totalitarian, communistic, socialistic, um, abusive, truly uh, like uh, evil government that's been formed in the past, one of the things they've always done is what? Target children. Yeah. And, and they've always moved um, the authority from the, the, the father, the parents in the home to the government. That's always been what's happened. Right. Um, because if you destroy the family structure that's ordained by God, then effectively you, you levels all of society and, and you can recreate it in whatever way you want to. It's never been good, right? We're seeing that in our own country. Um, it, it's, it's very interesting, and I, I know it's emotional, but if, if anyone ever you know, reads um, Mein Kampf, which I think everyone should be reading the history of, of governments, the rise and fall and takeovers. I mean, w- this is one of the things Hitler did. Now, this is our recent history, right? I mean, this is not very old history. It's one of the things that Nazi Germany did. They attacked the family unit. Um, in Russia, they attacked the family unit. Go all You can go way back into history, right? And, and you'll see that over and over again. And so, it, you know, it, the earnest comes on, the, the honest comes back to the, the parents. And I think for uh, guys listening to this podcast, you're thinking, well, this is for my kids. Well, no, this is for you, yeah. right? Um, yeah. and, and it's even for people who don't have children. I, you know, my wife and I do not yet have children. Uh, you guys don't have children, but it's important because it teaches us more than just an individual command for a single family unit. It helps us understand who God is, what holiness is, and how God's ordained life to be here on earth, right? And so, for parents, I think when we're looking at this um, today, 
I think parents need uh, often parents need a new dose of reality that says this is God's expectation for your child, yeah. which means you are the one that must be teaching your child that. Uh, there is never a such thing in scripture as a child who just kind of gets to find his own way, feel his own uh, way around, make his own mistakes and just sort of figure it out because he's his own person. You never see that in scripture. Everything in scripture is contrary to that. And I think, uh, it, you know, w- there's a lot of adversity in our society to teaching children to be obedient to parents. I mean, y- you can even find certain politicians in certain states that would label that as abuse, which is insane. I mean, literally insane. Um, But this is an important command. Let me go to uh, Deuteronomy passage real quick and and turn it over and just give some commentary to all that. This is really just to give us a sense of how serious of a command this is. Deuteronomy chapter 21, uh, verses 18 through 21. Listen to this. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and his mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of this city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of this city shall stone him to death. So yeah. you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all of Israel will hear of it and fear. That's, that's, that's pretty verse. serious. Yeah, you know, not, not every single law in the Old Testament uh, required death as the penalty, um, but that just goes to show how serious the issue is uh, with, with regards to a rebellious child. And you were mentioning that scripture doesn't say just allow the child to do whatever he wants. In fact, when you look through the book of Proverbs, you see very clearly that uh, that your parents are to discipline their children when they are disobedient, right? And and I think we're living in a generation now that um, now is trying to encourage parents not to uh, discipline their children. And if they do, then you know they're they might they might lose custody to their child. They might be thrown in jail, whatever it may be. But if you do not discipline your child, what you're setting up your child for is basically a life of um, an expectation of entitlement to that they're entitled to things that they're not really entitled to. And, and that breeds a lot of discontent. That breeds a lot of um, resentment when they don't get what they want. And I even heard um, a couple of years ago that um, there's a new phenomenon happening in colleges where college students, uh, you know, when they get first year they're in a dormitory and they for the first time they have to kind of coexist with another student and and more and more colleges are seeing issues come up between students that require the parents to come and help resolve because they they've never had to try to um to to work out differences with other people but they've always been taught that hey my way is good and i i'm gonna get whatever i want and i i deserve whatever i um i want and all that and and really when we look at old testament history too um exodus here they're receiving the ten commandments commandments at Mount Sinai, but eventually they're going to make their way to the promised land. They're going to conquer the promised land. And then after they conquer the promised land, you have the book of Judges. And, and what happens in the book of Judges? Well, they go after false gods, but more importantly, the reason why they continue to get punished and the reason why they continue to get worse and worse 
the very last verse of the very last chapter of the book of Judges says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's, that's in essence what happens when you don't discipline your child the right way. They start to develop their own sense of what they think is right. And then you get someone else who has their own sense of what they think is right. And what happens when they disagree? Well, there, there's no recourse. There's, there's no gold standard. There's no uh, objective uh, way of truth. And instead, they end up fighting each other. Um, so th- this is, uh, you know, all this to say that um, disobedience, as you pointed out rightly, this was a very serious issue and one that we don't take seriously enough today. And I often tell parents, you know, you need to discipline your children. And I understand the flip side of this. A lot of parents are concerned about being overly harsh with their kids. You know, you you don't want to, for instance, uh, take out uh, misdirected anger upon them. That certainly would be sinful. And you also don't want to risk being unfair or overly harsh, knowing that they're children. They don't understand the same thing that you do. But what I try to help parents understand is that, look, when your child disobeys, just just recognize that they're making a decision and, and you, you are laying out the decision for them. You can obey and be blessed or you can disobey and receive the punishment. And they're actively making the decision to disobey. And, and if disobedience has its consequences, you need to make sure that those consequences um, are upheld. So th- these are things that today's children need to have from their parents. It helps provide structure, um, expectation. And, and I've seen, and you probably have as well, so many examples of, of families within the church. Um, and you can see just by looking at the kids, those who have raised up their kids uh, with the right kinds of expectations versus those who have maybe given too much control to their kids in terms of what they do and don't want to do. And the, the latter scenario, it just never ends well. It never ends well. Yeah. And and I think if we understood a little bit about, um, you know, sort of the effects and, and what helping your children understand and uh, obeying this commandment and, and even the parents, uh, the effects of that. I mean, I think first and foremost, you're, you're teaching your children to, to love and obey and serve God as an authority, right? I, I mean, the parents are the- You should be. Yeah, the parents should be. Right, should be. I mean, assuming you're doing this, right? Yeah. Um, but that's really what, what you're training up your child to do. And if, if a child grows up where he's not honoring his mother and father, or, and that's not the expectation, right? Um, then, you, then effectively, you, you're training your child to really do whatever he wants, and he'll do that even when it comes to God. You know, outside of God's saving grace, we understand all of that. Um, and so, this is really training a, a child from the very beginning to rightly and properly respect authority. And then later on in life, the hopes would be that that would be, uh, you know, that would be attributed to God as well. And so, when you don't do that, or when you don't expect uh, your child to honor and obey you as a parent, then it, you're failing in that moment to train your child how to rightly view and respond to God as an authority. Um, and, and we often, I mean, we hear things like this all the time, right? People who struggle with God as uh, a father because they had, you know, they, they had such a terrible father in the home or whatever. Um, and we could talk about the, the all the misunderstandings in that kind of language. But um, the, the truth remains is that if you're trained from a young age to obey and respect and honor authority, then when you come to understand that God is the ultimate authority, you already have that trained mindset, 
right? That this is God, this is an authority. And so, therefore, there are ways that I must respond to him. And those are good ways and proper ways. Um, and so, you know, it's very interesting. You talk about parents um, struggling with maybe not wanting to exercise discipline because they're afraid of being overly harsh or unfair, things like that. And and I think it, there are probably two camps of people who fall in that category, right? It, you have uh, the genuinely concerned. They are not against, um, you know, uh, discipline, right. Um, right. but they don't want to cross the line. But then I think our current culture produces a second group of people, which I think are probably far more in number than the previous. And that's a group of people who really just sort of use that as an excuse not to discipline their children because they've been trained by the world that it's actually not a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. Right. I think you can have genuine believers in both camps. I think mm -hmm. one has just been right. trained more by the world. Yeah. Right. And, and, and one more by the world, uh, by the word, dealing with their humanity and how to balance those things. And I think that's if you're in that's the better position of the two. But, it, it, you know, you go to Proverbs and I would encourage I always encourage every parent to do a to do a study on the, the everything the Bible has to say about children and yeah. youth, mm -hmm. because the picture you walk away with is not one of you know what? My young child is just going to walk away and with no guidance, he's just going to make the best decisions and he's yeah. going to make really good choices. That is not what you get from scripture, right? Uh, Proverbs 22 and verse 15 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And then it says the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So it gives the answer to the foolishness. Yeah. Um, and, and so the question ought to never be, do I withhold discipline? Uh, you know, um, if I'm not mistaken, by the way, that word for rod, like literally means like a branch, <laughs> um, a, a, a twig from a tree. But anyway, um, it, but the point is that there needs to be discipline. And so the question should never be, do I want to discipline my child or not? The question should be always, how do I discipline my child in the best way that honors the Lord in, in these situations? And that's something husbands and wives need to sit down with and, you know, talk about, consult maybe even with the elders in the church and with scripture. Uh, what you never want to do is discipline out of anger, obviously. That would, that would be crossing that line. But if you don't discipline your children, you're teaching them this commandment is not important because this is partly how we learn to honor authority is by way of receiving discipline, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it's interesting. So we read this command and I think um, oftentimes people will say, well, okay, what does it really mean to honor then, right? So yeah. we we're talking about right. obedience. We're talking about the results of disobeying this commandment, but what does it really mean to honor your father and mother um, what, what, what do you say to that when someone asks you that question? Yeah, and, and it depends on, on the context. And what I mean by that is this, for children, they are to obey their parents. I mean, we see that being stated by Paul, again, in Ephesians chapter six, um, you got to obey and, and, and submit to your parents. But when you become of age and you are, uh, you've established your own household, 
Um, if you're a woman and, and you've married, uh, you've, you've gotten married, um, you are now submitting to someone else, not to your parents. And so to honor your father and mother in that context takes a different, uh, different role. Um, the Bible tells, uh, tells us that the man is to leave and cleave, right? And, and so that, well, what it means is that there's now a way to honor your father and mother without having to feel like you have to obey what they tell you. In fact, you really shouldn't. Um, not, not to say that it's bad. You know, they might have good advice and you might evaluate the advice and say, hey, this is good. We're going to go ahead and follow it. But don't, uh, don't do it just because they're your mother and father. You know, you've got to evaluate decisions um, on your own when you become um, a grown up and, and you're an adult and, and all that. So honoring your father and mother, I think um, in the context of, say, a full grown adult, um, one, take care of them if they can't take care of themselves, right? First um, Timothy 5 talks about how widows need to be taken care of those uh, from those in their own household. And, and those who do not take care of those in their, their own household are, is worse than a, a, a tax collector or a Gentile or something like that. Um, so take care of them when they need help. And Jesus had a confrontation with the Pharisees where he pointed out their hypocrisy, saying that um, you approve of people that don't even give money to their uh, uh, to their parents that may need it, saying, oh, this is Korban, it's been sacrificed to God, so I can't give you anything. Um, I think honoring your father and mother also means uh, loving them, um, spending some time with them from, from time to time, uh, taking care of them, uh, keeping a relationship going with them as much as possible, those kinds of things. So I, I think there's, there's a special relationship that as much as possible we want to foster uh, with our parents that goes above and beyond just our friends or, or the, mm. the, the people in our day-to-day -day lives. But it does not mean that we have to give in to um, unreasonable demands. Um, if they, you know, sometimes you get parents that even when their children are grown up and married, they think that they can dictate their decisions. No, that is not what should be happening. And certainly yeah. within the church, when I see people who get married and come together, that's one of the things that I'm going to talk to them about in premarital counseling or in counseling after they've gotten married that look, I'll look at the husband, you're the spiritual leader now. Um, not, not your father-in-law, not your father. You are the spiritual leader and you need to start making decisions for yourself. And the same thing for the wife, um, tell her that your spiritual leader is not your parents. Um, it's, it's not your parent-in-laws, it's your husband. Um, so you need to start backing up your husband rather than um, sometimes uh, parents will try to undermine that kind of authority. And this becomes important also when those uh, the, when that husband and wife they have kids and they're raising kids and I see a lot of times where the grandparents will try to get in the way with how they should raise the kids, mm. you know. So even if the grandparents are good Christian grandparents and they're they're seeing that their kids are not raising um, the, the the grandkids the way they should be raised up, you know, one of the things I'll have to counsel the ground grandparents is that look, I I agree with you, but they're not your responsibility. They're the responsibility of your children. And the most you can do is try to advise your children and pray that they'll heed your advice. And on the flip side, um, if, if, it's, uh, if I'm counseling the couple who has parents that's trying to tell them how to raise their children, I'll tell them the same thing. Look, those are not the kids of your parents. Those are your kids. And you need to take control of that and let them know that you're the one to make decisions over that. Um, so all this to say that to honor your father and mother, it takes a different form based upon whether those kids are still under your stewardship or whether um, the, those kids are now grown up and, and making their own decisions. Because ultimately, when we bring children into the world, we, we start off as their stewards. We, we start off as, as those entrusted to take care of them. But once they reach a certain age where they're making a living on their own, they have to be able to make those independent decisions and uh, take responsibility for them. Now, you used an interesting word when you talked about parents with children. You used the word steward. Yeah. 
I, I think that is not a well-known uh, yeah, or understood right. concept, right? right. And, and I think we would just say that um, parents ought to recognize that children are a gift from God and they are God's, yeah. right? You're to raise children um, as, as unto the Lord. They are entrusted to you, yes. not yours to do with whatever you want. Right, um, right. And, and I think we see that in society today, right? Um, we see a whole segment of our population that is taking their children and they're molding them into uh, little international spokesmen for ridiculous things like climate change right. or whatever else. They're, they're being used yep. for the parents' own purposes. And this is really nothing new, but I think we just see it uh, all over the place in ways we haven't exponentially in our current day. Um, it, you know, And so uh, that's just something to consider. And, and you're right. So I, I would say... I often put it this way, I, I would say for children, uh, the way you honor your mother and father predominantly, if I just put it in one word, would be obedience. Yeah. Uh, if you're an adult, uh, the way you honor your parents would be reverence. Yeah, um, respect. Yep. And, and of course, all of those things happen with both groups, but um, and primarily children should respect and obey and honor the parents because it pleases the Lord, right? And I think this is uh, ought to be some of those things that help parents demand discipline and uh, exercise discipline in their home and and demand that rightfully, right? Is that it? it is pleasing to the Lord. Um, and, and so, a disobedient child, a dishonorable child is a child who displeases the Lord, right, would be the implication. Um, and so, that I think that's helpful. Um, when we talk about reverence, you know, this is interesting. I think um, John Watson uh, puts, um, sorry, Thomas Watson um, wrote a book on the Ten Commandments. It's really good. Um, get your dictionary out. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, you know, he talks about reverence being an inwardly and outwardly, having an inwardly and outwardly manifestation and, yeah. um, it, you know, instilling in your child by way of discipline and love and the right combination of that. It's a fear and a love, right? We, under, we understand reverence. The way we reverence God, children ought to have reverence for the parents in the same manner. Um, and then outwardly, what does it look like outwardly? Well, it looks like your, your child's submissive and obedient. Yeah. Right. Um, you, you know, and and we should say that there are you know examples on all sides where this doesn't play out perfectly. You've got good parents who exercise discipline and they train their children right, and the child is becomes unruly. Uh, you've got parents who are you know doing things the way of the world and taking advantage of their child, and yet their child turns out to be you know a faithful believer and things yeah. like that. Right. So. It, it, you can't really use those fringe things, but generally speaking, this is God's good design and the outcomes uh, from that. Um, and, and I think for adults, it, you know, we talk about reverence and obedience, and I think I would agree with you. The primary way as adults we obey our parents is taking care of them and and give and and giving them reverence out of their. You know, uh, the fact that they've raised us their whole life, they're yeah. older. Um, and, and then, yeah, and then just helping them whenever we can and making, helping them a priority over helping strangers, I would argue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have a hundred dollars that you can, you know, give to the guy on, on the street or your next door neighbor who might need it. Uh, or you could give the hundred dollars to your parent who, 
you know, is in equal need of it, you should give it to your parents. Shouldn't even be a question. Um, just one example. There are million, millions of examples, but um, sometimes just keeping up communication. Yeah. You know, I, I think if we took the same care um, w- with our parents when we're older as we took um, with our spouse, uh, we, we would really honor them more. And what I mean by that is, you know, we take the time to understand with our spouse. Uh, what things they appreciate and and what means something, what's valuable to them. Yeah. And I think we don't do that very well with our parents, right? Um, you know, we don't take the time to consider, well, what, you know, what would my parents appreciate from me? Uh, oftentimes, it's probably something as simple as, you know, a frequent phone call right. um, every so <clears throat> often that's regular or whatever, a birthday card, or I, I don't know, whatever it is, but it's just the, that's the heart of honoring your parents is that you even think of, you know, those things. You, you know, and let me, and, and let me take that even further, um, because I think our country, we have um, put so much emphasis upon independence and, uh, and success and, and, and following our dreams and, and uh, all that to the expense, at the expense of family relationships and and where I see this the most and and I'm going to just uh, I'm going to pick one culture as an example like the the Filipino culture uh, much like the um, the Mexican culture very community driven very community oriented and and I love that I I appreciate that but um, I, I remember talking to a couple of folks who used to be uh, missionaries or spent a lot of time in in the Philippines and they came back and what they explained to me um, they were talking about uh, convalescent homes old age homes right and they're plentiful here in America, which, by the way, I think is one of the primary proofs that we don't honor our fathers and mothers, that, that so many of these exist. And I'm not saying that there aren't instances where you need assisted living kind of um, quarters and, and care and stuff like that. I'm not saying that at all, but I think there's a lot of cases where people are put there, um, elderly are put there because, uh, quite frankly, the, the kids the kids who are fully grown adults and fully capable of taking care of them just don't want to take care of them. Yeah. But I was talking to this couple that they had spent a lot of time in the Philippines, and they said that in uh, Manila, the capital city of the Philippines, um, th- th- there was only three um, old age homes, convalescent homes, and, uh, and, and they're all filled with um, expats that there, there's no Philippine there's no Filipinos in there it's all expats and uh, and then that tells you something um, because when you look at the community oriented structure for the Filipino culture um, essentially everyone within the family when they get elderly they are taken care of by the family they maintain that community and and very much in the same way when we're called into the body of Christ the body of Christ is called to be a community where we're called to take care of our own and uh, and even even better and even more so when it's our own family members, and especially if they're within the body of Christ. Now we've got additional support from the body of Christ. Um, but uh, but I think the fact that there are so many convalescent homes where people would rather just send them away and not deal deal with them, um, it, it, it's it, it's it's sad because when you look at uh, and I've I'm in an area where there's a lot of elderly folks and people are facing those kinds of decisions. And I tell you, the, the the elderly, when they get to that age, they never want to go to a convalescent home. Mm. And, and it's going to be the same with us when we get to that age where we can no longer take care of ourselves. 
we're not going to want to go to a convalescent home. And especially now, because the folks who are working there, um, you'll be very blessed if you have someone who truly cares about the people rather than those who are just there to collect a paycheck, because they're not going to give the kind of care um, that um, each individual deserves, but rather they're just going to follow a checklist and do um, whatever is the minimally required uh, task um, that, that's available. Very cold can be very unloving environments and often environments where they're taken advantage of. Um, so yeah, the the, the care that we, the, the honor that we give to our parents really should be all the way to the point where they're they're called up into the Lord's presence, assuming they know the Lord. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. And I think, um, you know, maybe during all the shutdowns, some people were awakened to some of the, just just the horrid nature of having parents in facilities like that, right? Yeah. And and of course, you made a good point. Sure. There there could be some there there are some genuine exceptions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if if parents need you know kind of regular medical care, things that just you, we can't provide, right? Right. right. Um, that's understandable. But I would argue that if we removed everyone uh, that were in those homes uh, that didn't need that, I, I we would probably have less than half of what we have at least. Yeah, right. and, and that's probably, you know, uh, just being very conservative. And, and so I, and, and I think this is, I mean, you're right. It's part of our individualistic con, uh, society, but I mean, that's part of honoring our, our mother and father is, you know, are you making a plan to help your parents when they come to that age. Yeah. And and by that I don't mean are you spending money on an insurance policy just policy just so that they can be put away in a home. Yeah. That that is not the biblical way of doing this. Yeah. Don't um, throw money at at a at a relational issue. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and so I'm not necessarily saying that those things can be bad because again if there's medical care needed um yeah. but if that's just the solution if if you don't have the thought I would argue if you don't have the thought um, of bringing your parents into your home, or if you live close enough, being able to get to them regularly when they need that, then y- you need an adjusting in your mindset of what it means to honor your mother and father. Yeah. Does that mean your life is going to be changed? Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean that you it, things might become inconvenient? Yeah, sure. Um, but but we let uh, you know our parents' football. Sc- I mean, our children's football schedules inconvenience us. Right. I mean, we'll change right. our entire world um, for a football schedule, but we'd rather shove mom and dad into a nursing home and not deal with them. Um, and, and and maybe it's not even as 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 bad as that. Maybe it, we've just so been trained that way. It's not a malicious thought. I think for a lot of people, we just don't have even in the Christian community. We never think about honoring our our parents really anymore. I don't think we think about this command. Um, And so that would be a challenge, I think, for adults listening is, you know, this command is still for us. It doesn't give the stipulation, honor your mother and father while you're a child. Yeah, right. Right. This is full blown period. The dynamics change a little bit between when you're a child and when you're an adult. Um, But, you know, if you're going to be faithful to this commandment, then you need to be thinking of, how can you be there for your mother and father when they need this help in their old age? Now, this is interesting because this is really just an expectation when this is written. I mean, we have to understand it, you go back to the times in which this was written and the, everything was community ori- oriented. Yeah. It, this wasn't an individualistic society. Right. Right. And so, if we're to understand this in context, these things were expectations and they were even given in the midst of that. 
right? They weren't, it wasn't just assumed that they would do that. So, in a place where uh, families often extended live together for whole lifetimes, um, even when children got married, oftentimes they would live in the same, under the same roof or very, very close. Um, the, di- the dynamics would change a bit, but that would still be true. E- even knowing that, and they typically took care, took care of their elderly, this command was still given, right? Um, yeah. e- even when all that was already kind of happening uh, by way of the society, the command was still given. And so for us, um, I, I think we can't change our, we're not going to change our society and the individualism uh, that it, it, it teaches. I, I don't think we're going to do that. But within the Christian community, this ought to look very different. In fact, I would argue it ought to be one of the very clear distinctions that the world sees. Yeah. Um, you know, why is it that the church, they don't use nursing home facilities that much? Uh, they always they take care of their yeah. parents. I mean, just like the world is starting to recognize um, a lot of Christians homeschool their children, which I'm an advocate for. Um, that's noticeable, right? I, I mean, you have politicians talking about it. You, you even had threats of legislation because of it. Um, it ought to be the same for uh, the fact that we don't give our parents. To, to these government entities either. Um, and then I think, it, you know, when we take on the responsibility of doing that, uh, when we bring our parents in or whatever we need to do to honor them in their old age when they need help, assuming it's not, you know, again, one of these um, uh, issues of needing specialized care when it's not that, it, it, you know, we ought to find a joy um, and, 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 and new life in doing that. It changes the home dynamic, absolutely. Yeah. But the question is, do, do we not believe that God blesses that when we're obedient? Is right. he not going to bless the home and the families? Um, and it might be a struggle, but then we understand that maybe we need those struggles to grow yeah. our own relationship with Christ. So, even all of those things are almost very selfish um, because we assume that God isn't and doesn't work in the midst of all of that when when we are obeying his scripture. And God always, I think, you know, uh, honors obedience to his word yeah. and faithfulness. And so, we just have to trust him in that. Yeah, the, the Bible tells us uh, within the church to regard each other as more important than ourselves. But certainly within our families, I mentioned First Timothy 5, where Paul says, look, if someone is in the same household as the widow, and I, and I don't take that to mean that it has to be someone who's literally in that house, but even a family member, um, especially one who's a child of that widow, someone who, um, who's, who has the means to be able to support that widow, if that person does not take care of their own, then they're essentially worse than a Gentile. <clears throat> and, and so we, and, and let me just uh, clarify something just for our audience in case I said something that, that may be taken the wrong way. Um, I believe that we have the responsibility to take care of our parents, regardless of whether they're in the faith or not, um, all the way to the end. Now, what do we do with the commandment from our Lord Jesus Christ that says, when he said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, and he talks about the division that's going to happen between family members? Well, a couple of things. Um, One, that's not talking about division that we seek out with our family. Just because we're Christian and our family members are not Christian, it doesn't mean we actively divide from them. What it does mean is that often the stance that we take of faith will end up 
creating division often on the other side. And when you think about the Jewish communities at that time, the people, especially those of the Jewish community that would confess Jesus Christ, they were put out of the synagogues, they were disowned from the families. And so that was very clearly understood, I believe, by those who heard Jesus say that, that to stand firm and to say that Jesus Christ is my Lord means that there's going to be division, not division that you bring to the table, but division from others, because you're going to be cut off from the family, you're going to be cut off from the synagogue. And the synagogue was really the center of spiritual community for every Jew at that time. Um, so, the any division that happens between us and our parents over our faith should not be something that we introduce, but it should be something that if it's there, it's because they refuse to hear the truth and, and they're dividing because of that. Now, that being said, for those that have not created that division, but they remain unbelievers, you know, we should still tend to them all the way to the end, but we should also continue praying for them and ministering to them and looking for those opportunities to help them to come to a knowledge of the Lord. Um, but as we've said before, you know, we we can only be responsible um, as messengers, as stewards of, of the truth that God has given us. Um, we have to entrust God with the, with the results, but we have to be faithful um, in whatever ways that we can. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, a good point and distinction to make. And, you know, our serving unbelieving family members ought to just um, point to our life in Christ. So it yeah. ought to be something that adds to our testimony and our witness, right? And, and yeah, absolutely. And, and this is an absolute command. Uh, and it's not dependent upon whether uh, the if we're talking about children, whether their parents are believers or not, um, or if we're talking about, um, you know, adults, whether the adult parents are uh, believers or not. It, it is just honor your mother and father. Right. And so I, I think for children, um, I mean, it, it's just, again, whether believers or not, children ought to be made to obey their parents. Yeah. Um, it is still a God inherent training for a right respect of authority. Um, and, and then ultimately, when they come to understand something of God, hopefully, and and that he's an authority, they have still had that training. And of course, it's a given, but we should just say it, um, that we, we don't mean, you, you know, anyone should ever be obedient to those things which are contradictory to God's word. Right. 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 Um, if we're told to do something that God forbids, then obviously we don't obey those things. Um, but... But otherwise, you know, even matters of preference. I mean, the reality is, um, you know, a child is supposed to be obedient to the parent. Now, there's certainly right. instructions for the parents, right? Um, in fact, the verse that I, um, I, don't, I reference in Colossians 3, I don't know if I read it or not, but it talks about the fact that children are be obedient because that pleases the Lord. But the very next verse actually says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will yeah. not lose heart. Um, so we understand there's balance there. But in dealing with this command, the focus is really on uh, the child's response to the parents. And so, um, yeah. And then I think as we, you know, we look to be faithful to this, what is guaranteed, I think, is that you start seeing a difference, at least in the Christian community. Um, because, I mean, we have this now in the church where you know, so much of the world is, I mean, we're bombarded constantly, right, with worldly thinking, worldly ideologies, um, worldly beliefs. You can't, you really can't get away from it, you know, if you have a job and you wow. go outside of your house. Um, and so, I think it just, it, the Christians in, in our day, um, I, 
you know, but not on maybe not unlike you know New Testament early church. Um, I think it just takes a very intentional desire to be faithful to Scripture and to make sure that what we're doing and why we're doing is accordance with Scripture, and not that we're not just defaulting to the world's way of doing things because we can do this without even knowing. Um, you know, and so all of a sudden, parents realize, oh, I've been letting my kids run around like you know, little wild people. Um, well, that's probably not the biblical way to do it. In fact, it's not the biblical way to do it. Um, it and, and kind of the mindset, I think, that I hear most often uh, that I would argue is really a very subtle and satanic attack on this commandment would be something to the effect of, well, we just want to let children be children and enjoy their, their youth, Right. Um, we, we just want to let children kind of be free and unrestricted and play while they're young. Well, one that supposes that when you're an adult, you, you no longer enjoy, enjoy life. <laughs> you can only enjoy it as a child. So, this is kind of a wrong premise there. Um, but two, that's just not what the scripture teaches, right? The child's life is meant to be a disciplined life. And certainly, they'll enjoy things that you enjoy as children, but there's never to be a removal of boundaries and restriction and disciplines. But I think that's a subtle way our culture's kind of crept into the church, this idea of, well, they're just children, so let children be children. Well, my Bible says if you let children be children, they're going to do really foolish and stupid things. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt. They're going to be harmed. So, why would you do that? Um, You know, don't let other teenagers train your teenager. Uh, don't let other young children train your young children. Um, one of my soapboxes about how youth ministries work, but anyway, um, they can be done well, but generally they're not. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, that's just one subtle way. And I think parents, when you understand um, having a disciplined uh, regiment for your child and expectations for your child, I mean, this is the Lord's will for raising children. And so yeah. the, the end result is, is, you know, far better than if you raise them the way the world uh, is trying to train us. It sounds good uh, from the world, but often Satan does it just that way, right? I mean, go back to the garden. He didn't just outright say God's wrong, right? He, right. he just questioned it. Um, and, and I think our society does this, uh, in, in this way, too. And so, I would just encourage um, parents, when you're considering your children, understand that when you really take this commandment to heart, and, and it's not, you know, it's not too late to, um, you know, start doing this and, and making this uh, a prominent um, thing in your home. But when you start doing this, really, you're what you're doing is you're bringing your home into submission to God's order for the family. And God's going to bless the home however he chooses to do that um, because of that. And you're giving your child the best opportunity he can have in, yeah. in, in a world like what we live in. Uh, this is the best thing you could offer your child. You can't control the outcome. But if you want to look back and not regret, right, uh, the, just totally the way you've raised your child, if you raise them this way, 
you can look back and you say, you know what? I've been faithful to God's word and we all make mistakes, but you've pursued God's word and that's the best your child could ever have. And I don't think you can go wrong with that. And if you're an adult, um, you know, start thinking now, how, you know, how can I really honor my, my grown mother and father, my elderly mother and father? Um, I undoubtedly, probably this is going to be a bigger thing for most is we find that we're very disconnected from our parents, yeah. uh, generally speaking. Um, you can't be disconnected from your parents and honor them. Now, I realize there's some extenuating circumstances that may be on the fringe. You know, maybe the parents just don't want that relationship. That's kind of a different thing. Uh, but if you, in your control, you know, um, reach out and start thinking through this question, start talking to your spouse about, you know, how to honor them in their old age and their needs and things like that. Um, yeah. And, and I think you find that uh, it really enriches your life. Right, because it's an area that maybe we weren't as faithful in. Uh, that now we're saying, you know, Lord, out of my my love and and uh, my love and obedience to you, I really want to do this. I see that it's good, and God honors that, right? And so, I- any last thoughts from you, brother? No, I, I think um, you know. I think to summarize, uh, at least some of what you're saying is that when we follow when we follow God's way of doing things, we're, we're going to see blessings. Even in this country, um, we know that, uh, in my opinion, this country has never been a Christian nation, but it was built on Judeo-Christian values. And for that reason, we did see a lot of success because of that. Mm -hmm. And even in the secular world, people understand that, for instance, when you have both parents in the household, when the father is actively engaged, that that child has a much greater um, chance for success and not to be in prison or to be, you know, a criminal or or something like that. So, all the more true is this for the Christian family to be able to just follow the the pattern and to trust in in God's design. That that means um, mother and father both involved. That means father is the spiritual leader. Um, even in Ephesians, when it um, instructs parents, it actually instructs specifically fathers. By extension, I would say that um, extends to mothers, but it has to start with with fathers um, setting the tone. Um, obviously, mothers and fathers together have they have to be on the same page. Um, and also remember that as you're raising your children, what the world often overlooks is that is the depravity of man. Um, the depravity of man tells us that everyone who is born into this world is born into this world as a sinner. And that includes that darling angel of a child that you've got. Um, he is a sinner or she is a sinner. And we know that you put two babies together and put a toy in between them. They're going to fight over it. And any teacher, if you ask them, if you have a, if you have a room full of obedient students and you put a disobedient student in there, what do you think is going to happen? Well, that disobedient student is going to have a, a bad effect on the obedient ones. Whereas you flip it around, take a room full of disobedient students and put an obedient student in there. Guess what? He's going to have no effect on, on everyone else. So, so kids um, are evil by um, by their nature, um, they're rebellious by their nature, and uh, and this uh, modern movement of just trying to reason with the child and, and expecting the child to come to the right conclusions on their own, um, it's a it's a recipe for disaster. Um, and to follow the, the the premise that we see in scripture that you know to whom much is given, much more is expected, and then when they show themselves to be um, to to be able to responsibly handle a certain amount of responsibility, you can give them more, and that's just as a general parenting principle, but. Um, 
parents need an active role in this, follow God's design, um, set boundaries, don't be afraid of discipline. And discipline doesn't always have to be corp- corporal punishment. It can be taking away of, um, of, of privileges, uh, things that they enjoy, time on their computer or their tablet or something like that, which you should be keeping under control anyway. But those are things that you can take away mm. um, in order to discipline as well. But it all takes a lot of wisdom, I'm not saying that this is an easy job to do, um, but when but stretching it out to the elderly um, the more we are connected to both how we raise up our children as well as we take care of our el- elderly, the more we fulfill what Jesus said, they shall know you by your love for one another. Mm. Um, we are often accused of not being compassionate, but I believe that you will see a true compassion. You'll, you'll see the compassionate side of a society in terms of how they, um, how they treat both scenarios. Yeah. Amen. Well, brother, we've talked about the law. Why don't you end us by talking about the gospel? Well, we talked about parents and and children, um, but we ultimately have a heavenly father up in heaven who created all of us. We've all been created in the image of God, but that image of God has been tarnished from the fall of mankind uh, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Um, we know that uh, we inherited their sinful nature. So all of us were born with a sinful nature. We see that just in our rebellion against God. Uh, and uh, Romans 3 is very clear that no one seeks after God. No one is righteous. No one does good. All have turned aside. And there is a consequence for that. Being that our God is a holy and perfect and just God, he must punish our sin. And because there is an infinite chasm between us and God, that punishment is eternal wrath in hell forever. Now, our God is also a loving God. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ, even when we were dead in our, our trespasses and sins. And so the way out of this problem that we have, where we're going to fa- face judgment before a holy God, is only through his son. So God demonstrated his lo- love by sending his son into the world to go to the cross, to die on the cross, to die as a substitute, our substitute for our sins, um, in order that we would have forgiveness of sins and be able to obtain his righteousness. And the promise there is that if we repent, put our faith into the Lord Jesus Christ, we will have eternal life. And then Jesus, having been raised up on the third day, is a promise to us that those who have repented and put their faith in him will also be raised up uh, when when the eternal state comes, when, when the end state comes. So that's something that we can look forward to, but it's only made possible through the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he made. No other man could have done this, Um, because no other man was perfect uh, and no other man was God in human flesh. No other man could, um, could make him or herself into an acceptable sacrifice to God for the sins of all those who had put their faith into him. So the call for all those who are listening, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, um, put your faith into the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, meaning you follow him and the promises eternal life. And it's only through him and him alone. And when you have eternal life, you have the greatest answer to your greatest problem and you have a hope that surpasses any trials that you could ever face in this world amen well thank you for joining us we hope that this has been helpful to you if you would uh like to email us and give us your testimony if these have uh, been helpful to you we'd love to hear from you our email is truth be known podcast at gmail.com and until next time let the truth be known 
The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to The Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.